And you can live in the day. Hello again, Rush. Now that we're recording. Yes, we're back in the new year. Been a while. So, so good to be back. We left without any notice. Well, we did. We're sorry. <clears throat> Happy New Year to all the listeners. Uh, yeah, we went on a long break and um, didn't do like a holiday break uh, notice, but we heard from some of the listeners offline and. Um, well, we're back and we're going to we're going to keep recording. And speaking of keep recording, should we discuss our plans for 2022? Yeah, I guess so. Well, before we get into 2022, why don't we just cover um how how uh, how our breaks went? I mean, and then maybe we are we going to recap anything on the first first uh, or last year on the episodes? I was thinking more future focusing. So what we have in store for the future. All right. Unless you have something to recap, then we could, of course, go. Well, we have a bunch of episodes we did. We should we shouldn't forget about them. I didn't prepare anything for a recap though, so I won't be contributing much. Well, well, we just go off the cuff, you know. So begin with your update. Well, um, we we went around the country in an RV, and I brought my family, uh, Helena and Maya, my our now eleven month old daughter, in a in a big old RV. And uh, we went from the coast of California to through Las Vegas. That was the first time I drove through Las Vegas. That was fun. Up into uh, Colorado. So we went this upper upper route of the country, stopped in Colorado, went to Chicago, saw family and friends in Chicago. Went oh, and we had a deadline to get to Pennsylvania by Thanksgiving, so we left a few days before Thanksgiving because we bought the RV a few a few days before we left, so everything was stacked on top of each other, and it was a logistical dance that Helena performed Helena and I, but she masterminded the whole thing. And, uh, we almost didn't leave. We almost got stuck here because the RV needed a part. And, uh, it was, it was at the, it was at the showroom and they said, your trip is going to be delayed because we need this part. So then they called us the day before we were supposed to leave. And they were like, okay, we, we, borrowed a part from a new RV and we put it in yours. And so you can pick it up and go. So that worked well. And we got a bunch of free stuff out of that, that delay or that potential delay. Cause you need a lot of stuff for an RV. So yeah, after Colorado, we, we, in Chicago, we made our deadline in Pennsylvania. I've never been to Pennsylvania. It was a beautiful state up in the mountains. We were there for, uh, Oh, 14 days, I want to say, and that, and got a chance to meet Helena's mother and Helena's mother's um, boyfriend, Bill, who's a fantastic fellow. He builds houses and he built the house we were in for 14 days. And uh, he got to show me all this stuff about building a house. It was amazing. The guys, uh, I mean, that's someone you need, someone who can build a house. You need 
you need someone like that very valuable person and just a funny guy and loves babies maya and him got along so well um and uh meeting helena's mom was really special and and she's a she's a cook and she's a she's a chef basically and uh, cooks all day every day and uh really focuses her life and her spirituality on her diet and what goes into her body and uh grows food eats the food she grows and and uh so that that was really amazing to watch and experience and um so that was pennsylvania then we went down uh met some other family along the way to maryland maryland is right underneath uh pennsylvania and we stayed in maryland for christmas and then stay we stayed with uh helena's sister and that was fun and maya got to hang out with her cousins her two cousins in maryland there and i got to see some of my family who lives near her sister so that was amazing and just spent the holidays with family and everything and then after Maryland we we continued our journey down past uh it was about the time we were in North Carolina uh after leaving Maryland that we got the Omicron variant of COVID-19 so that was lame because um we had to skip North Carolina and Tennessee and and in the U.S. those are kind of two hip hot spots where there's tons of stuff to do and there's just it's the happening place right now is is like nashville tennessee Asheville, north carolina so omicron basically gave me a migraine and a fever and uh just made me feel tired for three or four days and uh everyone else helena and maya got it after i got better so like two days, three days after I felt the effects, Helena and Maya started to feel the effects. Maya obviously was the scariest because she's 11 months old, but she went through it the fastest. So she got a fever and we were just kind of stationed in the RV in a, in a nice spot in North Carolina. Yeah, North Carolina. And um, we were kind of um, ready to go to the hospital if we needed to. Uh, we were nearby. We stayed nearby a hospital in case the, her fever persisted. But it broke the next day. She started to cool off and act normal and play and stuff and eat again. So she went through it very quickly. Um, and then uh, Helena went through it. So. We breezed past those two states and head to Texas. And te Texas was uh, where we hung out with my family. And uh, we took a few days in, oh, we took a few days in uh, Arkansas, Arkansas, after uh, North Carolina, Tennessee, Little Rock, Arkansas. So we're in Arkansas. We, we went to a hotel to recover for a few days and rest up from this journey. And, uh, and then we hung out in Texas uh, near Austin. And um, that was great. That was great. And 
we uh, spent some time with Jai, who was on the show. He's a former monk. I don't know which episode that was, but that was last year. Um, Jai has a house near uh, near my family. He lives actually one town over from my from where my family has been living for the past 12 years. So that was nice. And then from Texas, we took a straight drive to California. So we had about 16 hours to go and Helena wanted to get home. We were tired. We were done with the trip. We were ready to get out of there. We missed our beautiful tropical paradise. And so, um, we just drove all day and uh, night and we parked for one night, rested. And uh, basically in the RV, you can just park and um, expand the wall and the whole inside opens up. And I mean, there's a kitchen, there's a dinette, there's a full bed, there's a bath, a shower. It's like, it's everything. It's a big box on wheels. And if the box gets bigger, if you push a button when you're parked. So it's pretty self-sufficient. So we just stop, expand the wall, hang out, eat dinner, go to sleep, wake up. So then we continued the drive through, see from El Paso, Texas, that we headed across New Mexico, across Arizona, which is a beautiful drive. Arizona has some amazing rock formations and stuff. Then we get to California, and then we live near San Diego, which is pretty close across Mexico. Um, the bottom of California crosses uh, alongside Mexico into Arizona. So that is not that wide. I think that was like a three hour. Once we hit California, we had about three hours left. I think. Yeah. I think like we hit California at 7 p.m. and we knew we'd be home by 10. So we just did it and um, pulled up to our, our house. And that was a really, really nice feeling to come inside our home and, and get Maya settled into her, her room and everything. And almost two months. So that was almost two months on the road. And we were, you know, we're stationed in houses and stuff, but you're a guest and it's, it's, you're still dislocated from your, from your shell, from your crab shell called a house. So that was, that was good. And so now we've been back a few days here and uh, yeah, ready to rock and roll and um, start the new year. We had to pick up our, the mail mailbox, uh, our mail stopped. Let's see. The post office stopped delivering our mail because <laughs> we were gone for so long. And we were supposed to tell them that we left. But um, thankfully, the our, our mail lady is so amazing. She was like, I knew you'd be coming back. So I, I have all your mail. I didn't. So what they do is they'll return it back to where it came from and uh, mess up the whole supply chain of mail if you're gone for too long. So I didn't know that. But uh, now I know. But anyway, we had our mail and, and everything. And uh, yeah. Whew. What's okay. an adventure? Yeah. A wild adventure. And it all, it all started from an idea. Uh, we were thinking, you know, what are we going to do for the holidays? And I thought, there's no better thing to do than be around family. 
for the holidays or, or those that you love, loved ones, people that are close to you. Helen and I can spend a holiday. We'd spent a few years just on our own and didn't really see family that much. And now that we have Maya and everything, family is, uh, has a new meaning, has a new meaning. So, you know, the baby and the grandparents and everything and aunts and uncles and cousins and things like that. That means something a little bit more now that there's a little baby, new member of the family. So the tribe, as they say, in psychology, the tribe is very important. So we want Maya to have that um, feeling that she's in a tribe. There's people, there's a support network. But we live in California. We're not we're not near. So, you know, we got a lot of people in Maryland that tried to convince, you know, they want to, they want, they want us to move to, to Maryland basically next year or whenever our lease is up here. So we have some thinking to do over the next few months, if we should be in California or if we should actually be closer to family on the East coast. So we'll see. Nice. Don't know what else to say about that. Yeah, yeah, wild adventure and yeah, tribe important. Agreed. And you, Rogas? I went to Lithuania from, I think around the twentieth of December, maybe a bit earlier. I don't remember. Also, spent time with family and with friends. Highlights were karaoke. <laughs> uh, we rented out a room, seven of us. And yeah, just sang for four hours. And then that wasn't enough. We could have gone for at least five hours, but <laughs> had to go home because it was 1 a.m. already. <laughs> so, yeah. Love it. Uh, other than that, yeah, just doing a lot of things with friends. New Year's was with friends. Um, the last day, I went from the town I live in to the town I was flying out from which is around an hour and a half drive. And we stayed there overnight. When I say we, my mom and me, because mom had come over as well. So we stayed in a hotel overnight so you wouldn't have to travel in the morning to that town and then fly. And I had a friend there who lived in the town. So I met up with her and she goes to the gym with four other people quite regularly and I asked if I can come along as well so I ended up just completely unexpectedly going to the gym after going to visit and then we had a sparring session as well with boxing nice. so that was actually really fun and now I've decided to get into boxing myself so I found a local boxing gym and I'll go there tomorrow to sign up nice nice so boxing, then I'll also sign up for gym membership, start lifting weights again. Those are plans for the near future. So yeah, get back into a good physical shape again, like I used to be. Mm -hmm. I guess that's a, a brief update for me. Yeah, yeah, that sounds great. That sounds great. And and that that spontaneous kind of courageous move of of just asking someone to go hang out with them. That is that. Do you feel like that's progress for you? Uh, that's kind of um, something that you maybe wouldn't have done before? Not that, but now that you said that, 
there's more. <laughs> Yesterday, uh, got a plane back, and then after the plane was a three-hour train journey. And on that train journey, I was sitting on my own, and through the reflection of a, through the glass reflection, I saw another girl around my age, but probably around three to four seats down. And at first, I didn't really think much of it. But then, probably about two hours into the train ride, I decided that I would go up to her and talk to her. Oh. So, I, it was quite, it was actually very stressful. But I wanted to do it to conquer myself yeah. because the stress isn't caused by the other person, it's caused by your perception of yeah what will happen it's completely yeah. self-induced so yeah. i wanted to overcome it yeah and a step towards that is to just go up and talk to her yeah instead of being afraid so yeah went up it went <laughs> pretty badly at first i <laughs> kind of lost my trail of thought completely i was going to i mean the first thing i said was am i disturbing you just said no um and then I, my mind just went blank. <laughs> <laughs> so first, probably one minute was quite awkward while I was trying to gather my thoughts. And yeah, but then we had a conversation for about 10 minutes. And I, I don't know, I didn't really have much else to say. So I just said, thank you for your time and see you around because she was heading to the same town as me. And yeah, that was it with that. But I definitely, the part where I went up to talk to her, that is definitely a fairly, I'd say, new thing for me. Yeah. Whereas before I, I don't know, there's no way I would have done that. Sure. Sure. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. I mean, that's what it's all about, just talking to people. Well, that's wonderful. That's wonderful. I mean, uh, all right. So we, so we can cover stuff about, uh, we can tell the listeners what what's the we plan to do and stuff for the next year. But since we're on it, I think we can kind of pl- tie into what you just said, and 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 I kind of want to talk about um, your your future a little bit. You know, like what you told me, and and it's going to be hard because you've already told me. But I was wondering if you can just update the listeners on on um, what you what you've been up to. You know, because this show is, we have to remember, it's also about your <clears throat> evolution. And, and uh, we, we rarely get to kind of come back to Rokas. But, but I, I do want to touch on some things that you're doing. And I think it's reflective of our listenership. And I think it's important to go over. And, and so if you don't mind, uh, maybe we can go over some of those big changes that are going on in your life. Sure. So I'll begin with, I found a group of, a network of highly influential people, which I was fortunate to get into. And now being around them, I I see that the direction I was heading towards career-wise, I no longer want to pursue because there are better options for me and for what I want to do. So 
I am dropping out of university. And the first thing I'm doing is learning copywriting because it's a sales related skill and sales is important for any company. Every company wants to sell a product or a service. So copywriting, yeah, is useful for any company. It will help with my communication skills as well, uh, with my typing, my thinking. So it seems like a good start. And after that, I will see where I want to go next. It won't be, I won't just be doing copywriting for the rest of my career. It's a starting point, like a fundamental starting point to go on to something more. That something more could be building my own company or maybe something similar. Or maybe I'll just go on to learning a different skill, which will also add on to my income. And you were, you're on your fourth year of a degree at university for robotics and artificial intelligence. I have done three and a half years. I have six months left and I'm deciding to drop out because I don't want to waste any more time. In six months, I know I can achieve a lot and I don't want to waste our time focusing on university and postponing this. So big decision. It just seemed, it doesn't sound like a logical decision from an outside perspective, but I know it's the right decision for me. And what what, um, gave you the inspiration to to make this radical move and beat the clock of time? Seeing what can be accomplished from other people's wins in that group. So the possibilities of it, of as an example, copywriting, there are other things as well, but just seeing what people are doing with copywriting and the possibilities that I could definitely be doing that as well. I think that's what inspired me. And then having a mentor to teach me, that was a huge step towards, yeah, finalizing my decision and dropping out of university that I have guidance for it is definitely something achievable and I just need to put in the work to get the but results. Th- there's a, <clears throat> what's, there's another aspect of this that revolves around uh, urgency and the sense of time and everything. Let's, let's just, let's <clears throat> talk about that and let's actually, we'll go into that as kind of a theme uh, for the show. So let's, let's urgency, because Life is short. You don't know how much more of life you have left. Anything can happen at any moment. And this is, I see this as a big opportunity for me. I don't know, maybe things will be different in six months and I might not be able to do this in terms of the mentoring or I don't know. Anything, a lot of things can happen and maybe the opportunity won't be there anymore. So I want to just go at it now. And yeah, as for delaying six months, it maybe for some people that seems to be worth it, maybe not that much time, but I see how much I can grow and change in those six months. And I just really don't want to waste them on something I likely won't be needing in the future. Mm. And you, your your urgency to live life is, is <clears throat> also inspired because you experience death. Okay. Um, yeah. So this has been on the journey 
around a week ago, my neighbor's dog died, who I was very close to. I knew the dog since it was a puppy. I took it to training school. Uh, what's it called? To train puppies, commands and other things. Like a, uh, a dog training school. I don't yeah, know what else to yeah. call it. So I take the dog there and yeah, I really, I really liked the dog and it died a week ago. And when my friend messaged me saying that the dog died, I instantly went to them to help them bury it. I didn't ask if yeah they needed help. I just went to help because I wanted to. And it was minus 10 degrees. So the ground was frozen. So it took a lot of work digging it out. And then when we went to get the dog to carry it over to the hole, just seeing it there, that, yeah, that gave me quite a perspective shift as well to what you were saying about life and the urgency. I don't, yeah, I don't want to get too much into detail since it's a public episode and not one-on-one. No, you don't have to give detail about anything else other than, you know, your own personal thoughts and feelings. What I remember now is just thinking that the body is a vessel and just seeing the lifeless body of the dog laying there and the dog's spirit, or not sure what else to call it, had moved on. And actually, I'm not sure where I'm going with this. I don't remember my trail of thought from before. Uh, you can help. I wanted to cover this because it's a topic that I think about every day. And I do think about death almost every day. Uh, I sort of kind of wrote about it on Instagram a little yesterday and, and tried to frame it into how it hits my mind. But we all we all do eventually experience death in one form or another. Like I remember um, when I was, I think the first time I experienced death was um, when we were in like middle school or going to high school. Maybe it was like the summer before. No. It was after it was right after high school, I think. A friend of mine killed himself uh in college. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was in college. So we were all in that first year after high school. And it was weird, you know, seeing all these old old folks that I uh went to school with and everything in this other setting and seeing this 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 guy that I grew up with, um, you know, at the wake lifeless and everything and and seeing the different reactions i remember being very observant still at that moment uh even though i was still my old self i was i was kind of able to look at everyone and see how everyone else was reacting to this and it is, it is interesting because it pulls everyone around you um, into the same sort of grieving mode right so everyone's kind of sharing in the in the tragedy and, I, and i'm sure you saw that too and your friend and 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 everyone around the dog and a dog is a member of the family and so it, it may sound insignificant to some of the listeners but a, a dog is you know spends so much time with a family becomes a family member and um Actually, my my uh, sister's husband 
Randy, his dog, uh, Angel, actually just recently passed. And I remember how hearing that news, I was like taken aback because I, I knew that dog a little bit, but not as much as your story. But um, I knew how powerful that relationship was with Randy. And I was like, you know, oh, my God, that's huge. That's that's a big deal. Um, but yeah, it, seeing that it forces us all to reflect on this, this thing that we, uh, well, as, uh, Ernest Hemingway said, where every man, uh, has been before and every man will eventually go, you know, this, this transition of, of, uh, what we don't, we don't all know but we all we all know we have to experience this unknown moment so we all we all die eventually we all leave this body in some form or another and uh we all have different beliefs of what that means what and 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 the depth of our understanding of that moment i think guides our life right you can be on the part of the spectrum where you don't think about it. And so your life might be carefree. Your might, your life might be um, totally material, totally focused on what's in front of you. And then on the other side of the spectrum, you could think about it and, and believe in, in, in the, the sanctity of death so much that everything in your life is, is meaningful. Everything is means something, everything is uh you know almost religious and uh sacred so you know there's and then there's everyone in between and um i think it's a big topic for me because you become a monk because because of death monks guide their life based on the fact that this is all temporary and they 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 seek to gain a certain amount of wisdom and experience in otherworldly matters before that day comes. And uh, they spend their life sort of practicing for death. And um, so that, that's, I think that's a big deal. And, and so when you told me that, right, I was getting gas at a, at a gas station somewhere <laughs> uh, on our way, on our way back home. And um it was one of those things that reminded me of how I feel. And, and we forget how we feel like we, we lose track of death because we're so involved with life. And um, you want to hold that You want to hold that with you. You don't want to forget too much. And we don't, we don't talk about it a lot, but um, in the public, you know, but, I think in, in my life with my friends and family and especially students and clients, you know, I talk about it fairly often with people because I want to know what guides their life and that people's views on death is usually what's going to guide their life. And so Rokas, your sense of urgency is there's multifaceted, right? There's many factors along with that, but I wanted to touch on this, this very important part of it, which is, you know, that we all end up going there and, and uh, we need to live life a certain way 
to sort of uh, validate our feelings about death. And I just thought that was really important. Um, I don't think we talk about it a lot on the show. I don't remember in 2021 if how much we covered on death. But you- the last time I remember was with Ross Victory, but I think that would be 2020. Oh, wow. Okay. So the first kind of philosopher that comes to mind is uh, Seneca. And, and he was part of my studies on death. When I feared death, actually, uh, I remember sitting with a monk in the monastery, uh, uh, another, another man of uh, my, my generation and my school in the monastery. He, we served together. We came in together. I think he was six months ahead of me. So we, we, we spent a lot of time together and we shift, we had uh, duties. Uh, the monks were in the temple three hours every day. Uh, and we, take, we took ships So because the monks were in the temple 24-7, basically. And so every three hours, there was a shift change, right? And I've talked about this before, and I've wrote about in the book, everything is your fault. But um, for new listeners or those that don't, don't remember, um, you know, I spent a period of a few years in this midnight to 3 a.m. shift. Okay, so I was on the graveyard shift, basically. For three hours, you meditate, do, do sacred religious ceremony, and clean and stuff like that, and study. Um, you know, other days, you just try to stay awake. Um, so me and this other monk would have the shift change. He was in at 3 a.m. And so I would pass the torch onto him literally at three o'clock in the morning. And um, if they don't show up, then you have to stay there till for the next three hours. So that was always a fun story for everyone the next day. Um, but we would talk. Um, some, of my, some, of, some of the most amazing moments in the monastery were conversations I had with other monks. I mean, just conversations. Um, I had a, a span of six months where I spent every day in the evening talking with an old, one of the oldest monks. Um, and every day during dinner, we would sit down together and just talk and he would teach me so much stuff. So that's why I'm really big on conversations. Um, I, uh, you know, part of who I am is, is molded by conversations. So, um, this, this monk that I passed the torch to at three o'clock in the morning, this young, young fellow, uh, from Massachusetts, he, uh, he was, he's extremely brilliant. Um, and he would basically teach me so many things about the religion, um, about mysticism and, and, and culture. And he was extremely bright. And, um, so we, we got to talking about death one day. And I had confided in him that I was, I was still fearful of death. You know, this was, this was a while ago. This, this is when we were pretty new to the monastery. And um, I was still in hardcore kind of self-discovery mode. And he was like, he saw death as um, a liberation, you know, but more than that as a relief. And I was so mystified by his, um, 
perspective. And we spent the next uh, maybe month of, of nightly shift changes talking about death. And he eventually kind of helped frame that part of my mind and that part of my belief system where, um, as Seneca says, you know, it's really illogical to fear something that we don't actually uh, know because it could be, it could be something entirely better than what we experience on life. Anyway, there's, there's a lot of things that go into that, but as part of my own evolution on the subject, it, you know, it, we all need some kind of catalyst and, and I'll never forget those, those early mornings or late nights in my perspective um, because I went to bed right after that shift uh, for a few hours. I'll never forget that. Um, and, and so that really uh, got me to study everything that Seneca um, wrote and everything that uh, Epictetus wrote. And those two, those two Stoics talk about um, death a lot. I think Seneca, the most- Seneca of- has a, not sure if I can call it a book, but he has written, yeah, let's say, I'll say book for now. I'm not sure if there's a book called The Shortness of Life. So are you referring to that? Yes. Yes, absolutely. And the other one that comes to mind is um, the letters. There's 124 mm-hmm. letters that Seneca actually wrote. It, it, it's a conversation between him and a young man who's a, a, a political figure in uh, wherever they were. It was, Seneca was, uh, what's it called? Band? Uh, what's the word? He was kicked out of his his country, exile, and had to what? Exile. Yes, he was exiled from his country for. Um, it's a long story. We could we could spend a, several episodes on Seneca, but um, being away from uh, his friends and everything, he had to communicate via letter. So so they created a compilation. Of 100, I think 124 letters that he wrote back and forth between him and um, Lucius, or I forgot what the guy's name was. But um, so that was one of his most influential things because he wrote about all all aspects of life in this conversation in these letters. Um, so I recommend that. But yeah, the uh, shortness of life is very powerful i'm looking over it now and it's not long it's just a matter of verse there's just verses and i used to have a copy of notes that i took from it oh here we go Uh, his friend was lucilius so one of the things that stuck out to me was Let's see, I haven't read this in a long time. We do not suddenly fall on death, but advance towards it in slight degrees. We die every day. For every day, a little of our life is taken from us. Even when we are growing, our life is on the wane. We lose our childhood, then our boyhood, and then our youth. 
counting even yesterday. All past time is lost time. The very day which we are now spending is shared between ourselves and death. It is not the last drop that empties the water clock, but all that which previously has flowed out. Similarly, the final hour when we cease to exist does not of itself bring death. It merely of itself completes the death process. We reach death at that moment, but we have been a long time on the way. I mean, that's, that's powerful stuff. I mean, he, <clears throat> this guy like lived his life by that kind of stuff. Um, and it's weird kind of from one perspective to think about it like that, you know, or, or regularly, but from, from another perspective, it may, what, like it may make your life that much better. And that's what, that's, that's the realization that you're, that you've gone through. And, and, and so, I mean, that's a very special thing, right? Because now <clears throat> your, your life is being dramatically altered because of this, this realization. And I think that that's, I mean, that's extremely profound and exciting. And, and I don't know. From what I remember, yeah, it's about how you use life. Life isn't short if you live it correctly. Mm. But correctly is a weird way to put it. Seneca explains it a lot better. So, yeah, I just want to experience the things life has to offer. And I, for my life, I don't want to just take the safe path, the known path that society has created and endorses. Yeah, I want to go out into the unknown, take risks. I'm still young. I'm 22. If copywriting doesn't work out for whatever reason, I know I'll I'll figure something out. I'll find something else to do. And I'll push towards that. So, yeah, that's just how I want to live my life. Taking risks and potentially, yeah, enjoying the rewards, working towards the unknown. Because who knows, yeah, how things will play out. It's just a more exciting way of living life for me and how I choose to do it. Mm -hmm, if mm -hmm. that's making sense. Yeah, of course. I mean, it's a, there's a couple of things I want to touch on. Um, I mean, it's not an uncommon view for this, for this next, you know, series of, of people of generations. Um, I think millennials are the, are the first to kind of come out of a typical, um, American dream fallacy or, or world citizen uh, dream where you buy a house, have a family, work at one job, and um, that's what you do. And that, that idea of life is slowly being dismantled and broken down into pieces. And the pieces are being found to be, you know, incomplete and put together. It's still incomplete. It still doesn't make sense anymore. It used to make sense. It used to be a thing that, that order, you know, was made up of. 
And maybe that's because at one point in our, in our, in our history as humans, we went to war for a lot of the time and peacetime was seen as, as um, a respite from chaos, you know, but now that we're not directly involved with war as much as, as human culture used to be and, and other atrocities. And now that life is taking a technological uh, um, formation, right? And we're, we're all sort of living a very different life than we would have a hundred years ago. Um, you know, maybe that's forcing us to think think differently and evolve at a, at a, at a different rate, you know, and the birth of technology, um, for example, changes the paradigm on how we can make money, right? We can make money sitting at home, pressing buttons, right? I, I do that every day. <laughs> um, and, you know, now people are becoming extremely wealthy with things that most people don't even understand, but young people do understand, at least to a certain degree that it allows them to, to live a certain way. So I think that's, that's becoming quite common. Um, and I think one other thing I wanted to touch on was that, I'm not sure if Rokas, if you ever said it, but it, it did seem like, were, are you, were you getting more and more disinterested in your, your major? I mean, it sounds like you are just literally not interested in your major anymore whatsoever. Or maybe it you was, never were? I, I enjoyed programming, but at some point when I went into university, I saw my degree as a backup option. It was always a, back up in case I didn't have anything else to do. It was never the priority. And now that I found something else to do, then I'm pursuing that. Mm -hmm. and I think, uh, yeah, yeah. And I think that's also something that I hear about a lot in the university culture is young people are supposed to kind of go into university knowing what they want to do at such a young age. And for four years, and then they they naturally change. Like, I think it's quite common, right, for people to even change their major. Um, it's it's probably expected uh, at one point to change what you're doing. And yeah, so I, I never had to go through that. I never, I never went to a typical university, but. But in, I guess in my experience, I was at a, a type of educational institution for 12 years. And within that time period, I did change what I did um, a few times uh, professionally, radically, actually. So there's another. Uh, I'll add on another point to yes. my decision before this. I also want to have control over my life. With what's happened with Corona, people being forced to vaccinate or lose their jobs. That's also quite alarming from my view. So I don't want to be put in that position where I'm forced to do something or else I'll lose my job or employment. 
So that's another reason for me pursuing my own thing. Yeah. Yeah. And that's huge. Um, that's something that we haven't really, I haven't as a sort of teacher with a public voice, I haven't really gone into the pandemic that much. Um, on like so you know written form on, and I think we've talked about it a bit on the show we I think we talked about it with a few interviews too you know and I, I really like uh, actually what Kevin Kwok is doing we had Kevin on the show we need to have him back on the show but I support him on social media and everything and and you know he's he's been to a few moments of clash you know political clashes in the public in in Europe where is he? He's in London? Yep. He's in London. Yeah. Where the pandemic was was specifically challenging the belief system of people who are trying to live a free life. And and Americans, from our perspective, we don't quite we haven't quite experienced what Europe has and and, and um, Australia, especially Australia. Um where people are experiencing uh, injustices against their freedom um, of like being outside uh, and being uh, arrested for being outside unlawfully. So we don't, we don't have a complete picture because it's so fragmented around the world, but everyone is experiencing something differently. And uh, you know, I always, said i said this on the podcast on record that uh, a mystic i'm 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 a believer in in both mysticism and activism and that we kind of go back and forth when we need to and eventually the mystic if pressed will have to become an activist and i mean we can't deny it we're in a in a shift of thinking and uh, we're in a very strange time you know, where we have to think about what we believe in. Um, and it's, it's, very, it's becoming very clear what you believe in by just going outside and choosing, you know, in, in, in America on the road, um, very, very clear what you believed in when, when you're at the store. When you look at someone and they aren't wearing a mask, you're saying something. And it was very palpable. It was very obvious. It was everywhere in the United States. I would, and, and I don't wear a mask. And I was, I would be in a store and you, when you lock eyes with someone who also doesn't have a mask on, it's like you're connected. And, and it's like, oh, you know, this person is, is thinking differently. They think the way I think. And then other people who have masks on look at you and some of them give you a bad look, right? They're like, well, you know, you're not thinking like I am. And um, yeah, we're in a weird, we're still in a weird time. Um, I'm not sure how much it's diminished. I think it's, it's still going on. We're still, we're still having to live a certain way. And uh, the vaccine uh, almost directly impacted me. And, and what I believe in at NASA, um, I was on the verge of having to get the vaccine if I wanted to keep working at NASA, even remotely. But 
my employment changed um, for other reasons before I left for the cross-country trip. So that actually never came up. So but, something to add about the vaccine. I listened to an episode today of Joe Rogan's podcast with Dr. Robert Malone, I believe it is. Yeah. He was one of the inventors of the mRNA vaccine. He has 10 patents around it. He was heavily involved in work around producing it. So I would highly recommend listening to that podcast because it definitely was eye-opening for me as well. Do you care to go into any specifics? Anything stand out as memorable? So all the things that are happening with the data... There's a lot of a lot of foul play. Yeah, inconsistencies, quite a bit of foul play. It, yeah. I don't want to go too much into it. Yeah. But I think that would be the 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 overall thing. And he is he was banned from Twitter yeah. on the 30th of December for posting about his research. And he is one of the leading scientists around around those vaccines. And his research was, and his account was banned for the research he posted on it. So yeah, it's it is indeed a weird time we are living in, and I would just recommend listening to what he has to say. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Absolutely, yeah. I remember he got when he got banned on Twitter. I saw something. I saw something about that, and I'm mostly on the financial community side of Twitter, but 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 coronavirus and vaccines and everything seep into everything now that you can't, you can't avoid it. Yeah. To me, it just doesn't, I don't know. I just haven't found a reason to get vaccinated for my age and health group. And, yep. you know, I don't know. Uh, the data just doesn't convince me, you know, my mother is convinced that everyone should get it and she thinks that that's the the cure-all um but uh and, and and i know a lot of people are getting into uh various conflicts with their family because of different beliefs and i've had a few clients now who are going through you know husband and wife type scenarios where the wife or the husband you know one of them is a pro-vax the other one's anti-vax so it, it these people are living in the same home together and it's hard to reconcile the two belief systems. Um, and I hope I've been able to help them with some of my perspectives, uh, you know, but yeah. And I think one of them is in the end, um, we have to kind of decide if there's anything that we can agree on that's more important especially when we live in the same household with someone. And a lot of it comes down to fear of public image, the way people see someone else, you know, and uh, that's pretty superficial in my opinion. You know, if, you, if you're in a Silicon Valley community of uh, pro-vax uh, health, Western medicine type of people, and doctors and things like that, it's a difficult community to be anti-vax in. Um, and so, yeah, 
It's not easy. Not easy. But anyway, I wanted to kind of do another. There's another Seneca quote here that stands out. Okay, so this one is to. Uh, this is from. This is actually from the letters to uh, Lucilius from Seneca. And for some reason, I thought this was memorable, but I'm, I'm just reading it for the first time in a long time. Now is the time for me to pay my debt. This is Seneca talking. I can give you a saying of your friend Epicurus and thus clear this letter of its obligation. <laughs> it is bothersome always to be beginning life or another, which will perhaps express the meaning better. And he quotes Epicurus. They live ill who are always beginning to live. End quote. You are right in asking why. The saying certainly stands in need of commentary. It is because the life of such persons is always incomplete. But a man cannot stand prepared for the approach of death if he has just begun to live. We must make it our aim already to have lived long enough. No one deems that he has done so. If he is just on the point of planning his life, you need not think that there are few of this kind. Practically everyone is of such a stamp. Some men indeed only begin to live when it is time for them to leave off living. And if this seems surprising to you, I shall add that which will surprise you still more. Some men have left off living before they have begun. So what, what he's saying there is the same thing that Henry David Thoreau said in Walden, in the famous book, Walden, Walden Pond. Uh, and that is, you, you want to live before you die. And you don't always want to feel like you're, um, you haven't lived, right? Because eventually... We need to get to a point of contentment. Uh, we need to get to a point where, you know, we can say, I've had a good life. And what Seneca is saying is not a lot of people can say that. Not a lot of people can say that. And Helena and I, one of the things I wanted to, why I wanted to cover this is because Helena, Helena and I talk about this all the time. And last night we were just, talking about how many years, you know, we theoretically have with, with our children, right? And you need to make that stuff count. You need to make it count because eventually the child lives on without you. And you want to cherish that. So Henry David Thoreau, the basis behind his book, Walden Pond, was that very idea he want and he says this specifically in the book i want i wanted to live in the in the woods to make sure that before i died that i truly had lived and you know these are brilliant men saying this men and women uh, uh, throughout history who have said that we need to capture life before it's beginning to wane, before we get old, right? Before we uh, run out. I just think that's, that's so amazing to see. As a philosopher, 
what what's amazing for me is running into the same idea over and over and over again throughout your studies. And maybe it's confirmation bias, but there's a reason why these these works are noted throughout history, right? They they stand the test of time. And uh, these are some of the greatest works that have ever been written and, and will ever be written. And they're about seizing the moment, right? Carpe diem is one of the most famous sayings in, in Latin. I think it's Latin. Seize the day. That's what carpe diem means. Seize the day. Um, and so I'm not sure. I'm not sure. But, you know, that's possibly... Um, you know, that's possibly my mission for being alive is to tell people that and to live that, to live that. So you can see how this affected me when you started to talk about it as I was refueling our RV. You know, when I think about something powerful, I, I can't let it go. I can't, I, I can't stop thinking about it. And I think about it for, for years and years. These, these ideas and, and then I start talking to people about them so that is that is such a mission that we are all on and, and these recordings I think a lot of these recordings that you and I do are for that very purpose you know we're trying to tell people what, what we what we what we think is right what we think is right Here's another good one. A man has caught the message of wisdom if he can die as free from care as he was at birth. But as it is, we are all a flutter at the approach of the dreaded end. Our courage fails us. Our cheeks blanch. Blanch. I wonder if that means go pale or something. I don't know what that means. Our tears fall, though they are unavailing. But what is baser than to fret at the very threshold of peace? The reason, however, is that we are stripped of all our goods. We have jettisoned our cargo of life and are in distress, for no part of it has been packed in the hold. It has all been heaved overboard and has drifted away. Men do not care how nobly they live but only how long, although it is within the reach of every man to live nobly, but within no man's power to live long. That's, uh, that alone can be taken away as, as one of the greatest things Seneca has ever said. I'll say it again. Men do not care how nobly they live, but only how long, although it is within the reach of every man to live nobly, but within no man's power to live long. None of us are in, in other words, none of us are in control of how long we live. In the end, no one is in control of that. But we are in control of how well we live. But so often people are trying to control the length and not the quality. That we're trying to control the very thing that we cannot and we forget about the very thing that we can do, which is control the quality of life. I think that's, I think that's such a powerful idea. I guess that's why I wrote it down. Um, 
in my in in my readings. And that's, this is also important. Um, I think we started in this show. Um, we we read things from various philosophers and everything, and and and. and I mentioned, I think in the very beginning, how I read <clears throat> and I write down things that I read and I <clears throat> copy and paste them and save them in files and everything. So I can go back to them. And I have all these files on quotes from different things that I've read and I've lost some of them from the bulk of my reading in the monastery, but um, I've reread certain things and I've begun to recollected this storehouse of quotes and uh uh that's how we gain knowledge by reading that's one of the pillars of my my teaching we gain knowledge by reading and we 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 need to spend a few minutes every day to to anchor ourselves in some of these teachings or else we we lose it a little bit we we get thrown off uh, by life's demands. So I uh, can't recommend reading enough. And part of season two, when we did seasons, I remember we, we tried to teach and help people with what to read. Um, so coming back to that same idea, Seneca is definitely something to read. The words of Seneca. And Seneca was the one that resonated with me most as well, out of the three main Stoics. Stoic, yeah, Stoics. Yeah. Yeah, he was powerful. Marcus Aurelius goes pretty deep. Then Epictetus. A lot of people think that um, Socrates was a Stoic, but he was, he was, he's not actually considered a classic Stoic. It's a little tidbit of information there. Yeah. Well, didn't expect it to take this off turn. I thought it would be a surface level recap, some future <laughs> things about the podcast. And yeah, we this just went podcast, into a normal thing. This podcast is long winded. <laughs> um, it's good to cover things in detail. Yeah, for sure. But yeah, uh, so <clears throat> coming up, I think on the show, we uh, plan to, to interview some people. Yep. Talk to some people about what they what they find profound, I guess. And that's another thing that this this show is has has to redefine. You know, is <clears throat> what is it all about? We go back and forth between money to relationships to communication, life events, and it is a mixture of all these things because it is a philosophical podcast in the end. So may, I, th I think it is quite fitting that we, we uh, start off 2022 recordings um, with, this, with this topic specifically. Yeah. All right. So I'll start scheduling the guests and look forward to what's to come. Excellent. Excellent. Well, if we still have any listeners... Thank you for everyone for 2021. And um, we ex are excited to record our thoughts for 2022.
Thank you, Rokas. Thank you as well, Roche. And till next time, all the best. <laughs>